So we had a staff meeting today at Stereo Embers, the podcast, and we had a lot of big things to cover. There was important news that needed to be filtered throughout the staff, and and the first order of business was apparently we're out of lemon ginger tea. That was a very big concern among my staff. So so we were you know we were talking for a while about twenty minutes actually about how we're going to get more lemon ginger tea, and I said, well I can I can go to the store and pick some up. And now we can move on to item number two. And someone wanted to talk about the mugs. Why are the mugs in this office all different? And why do I have a white snake mug? And I was like, well, I used to work for a hard rock radio station, and this is a relic that I have. A white snake mug, is it that big of a deal? No, it's not that big of a deal. It's just weird, they said. And then they wanted to know if I was drinking tea out of the white snake mug, ironically. And I was like... Sure, I'm drinking tea, ironically, out of the white snake mug. Can we move on? And they were like, no. Uh, what if we go down to Crate and Barrel and get some great, you know, matching mugs? And I was like, okay, great. We'll get the matching mugs. And they said it, and you'll get the tea too, right? I said, yeah, I'll get the tea. I'll get the mugs. I'll get rid of the white snake thing. Let's move on to item number two. Then they were like, you know, lemon ginger is a great flavor, maybe you could have other flavors as well. And I was like, sure, we can have other flavors as well. I think the more kinds of tea flavors we have, the better. And they all seemed very happy about that. And then someone wanted to know if maybe if I wouldn't mind grabbing some of the gluten-free muffins that are now available at the uh, new artisanal bakery down the street. And I, I was like, yeah, sure. I don't mind that at all. I'll bring you guys gluten-free muffins. I'll bring you new tea in nice mugs. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you can tell this, but I am the oldest member of this staff by, by I'm doing the math right now, by about 173 years. Anyway, they were happy with the tea and the muffins. There was a solution. This took 35 minutes. Item number two, which apparently uh, wasn't as important as the mugs or the muffins, is that we are now officially, thank you to the analytics of Apple Music, one of the top arts podcasts in Norway. Yeah, in Norway. That's pretty cool. Apparently not as important as the other agenda items involving baked goods and hot beverages, but to me, this was big news. We are now in the top podcasts in Norway, in the arts category, and I couldn't be happier. So in honor of our newfound celebrity status in Norway, today we're going to have a very Norway Based episode. So, without further ado, here I go, again on my own, walking down the only road I have ever known with a white snake mug in my hand. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
is the music of the High Watermarks, a band which features my guest today on the program, Hillary Sidney. Let me tell you a little bit about the High Watermarks and Hillary Sidney. The co-founder of the legendary Elephant Six Collective that spawned bands like Neutral Milk Hotel, Olivia Tremor Control, and her band, The Apples in Stereo, Hillary Sidney has very quietly been one of the most important figures in modern music. By the way, before we continue, I'm sure you're like, oh, Neutral Milk Hotel, cool. Olivia Tremor Control, cool. The Apples in Stereo, cool. Yes, all cool, for sure. And all massively influential bands, but even cooler, Sydney was the only woman in that gang of dudes. And by the way, if you know your indie rock history, that was a lot of dudes. In the middle of the Apples and Stereo's ascent, Sydney fell in love with a Norwegian fella who was also a musician, and they joined forces as the High Watermarks, putting out two fabulous albums of engaging indie pop. My favorite from that era was this number, which I put on almost every single mix CD I made. My friends who are listening to this podcast right now are going to be like, yep, I remember that one. It was literally on every CD. I really miss making those mix CDs. Sydney moved overseas thanks to a study abroad fellowship to Norway, married that Norwegian fella, and put music aside to raise a family. 2020 ended the High Watermark's hiatus in the form of the fabulous Ecstasy Rhymes album, and now, two years later, its follow-up, Proclaimer of Things, is ready to go. A blast of hook-laden numbers that careen and roll mightily away with jangling precision and indie rock smarts, Proclaimer of Things is a stirring collection of spry pop anthems that's both spellbinding and rousing. This is a great conversation. Hillary is so nice, and I really love talking to her. So, without further ado, here we go. Me and Hillary Sidney of the High Watermarks having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. fit in with the Norwegian culture are you a very practical person uh yeah I'm a bit more I think I think maybe because I I grew up in the Midwest I kind of like uh you know I'm a little bit like reserved I'm not like super super duper outgoing and that's a very Norwegian trait so I'm I'm not Norwegian in my ethnicity but um I uh you know I I feel like I fit in here pretty well there's a there's a Norwegian sensibility in your in your DNA somewhere. Yeah, there is. It's that Midwestern thing, I think. What is the general feeling over there in terms of because I'm curious, because all I know is what's happening in the States and California. What is the general feeling about? Is there an optimism about things feeling normal again in terms of 
going out and playing shows, going out and living a life, going to see a movie. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we have had like um, a very normal pandemic as far as the whole thing went. We shut down like everybody else, but we never had as many cases as other places. And so when we gradually began to open again, it was um, people went nuts because they they felt like, oh, I haven't been out. And all caution was thrown to the wind. So then we had another big wave and we had to have restrictions again. And so now we have the biggest Omicron, I don't know how you say that, but the, the new strain, we had the biggest uh, outbreak of it outside of South Africa because somebody from South Africa came to a Christmas party in Oslo. And uh, yeah, so I mean, now we're starting to have restrictions again and now the one meter rule is back and we've got the um yeah so we've got the one meter restriction rule now and again and masks again and um you know so we'll see how it goes i'm i think it's really frustrating that people don't continue to be careful for a little while after it's like here if they recommend something nobody does it they have to be told to do it do you keep an eye on what's happening in the u.s because what you've just described is also sort of happening all over here as well um do you kind of keep a, a watchful eye on what's happening on our on our side of things too i do because my oldest son is still over there and he's um he's going to be 21 on christmas day and so i always kind of check to see how things are in his area and um also I haven't been able to get him over here for two years now so mm. I keep checking okay now he can travel but now he's in school and he can't and it's been a little bit like crazy that way but um he's coming next week so barring any crazy things that happen with travel I think he's gonna actually get to be here it's been two years since you've seen your son yeah it has been and my mom actually died over there from COVID and I didn't get to see her. And I still haven't uh, been able to wrap up her whole, you know, her whole death and kind of take that in locally, if you know what I mean. It, it feels really surreal to have experienced that from a distance and I haven't gotten closure in that way, so. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. And, I, and I'm, also, I'm also sorry to hear that you have to experience these things through like through zoom it's like zoom morning zoom mothering zoom and it doesn't really seem like it's a full experience um no, right it's not it's it doesn't it doesn't replace it especially with family yeah, i read that you were am i wrong in thinking you were originally from kentucky or you were um i lived there right before we moved to norway but i grew up outside of chicago and i spent a long time in denver also mm. Where outside of Chicago were you? Uh, Geneva, it's called. It's a little town about 40, 40 miles or so west of yeah. the city. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I teach college and doing, you know, conducting class over Zoom was a really kind of empty experience for me and I wasn't very good at it. And, um, and I don't uh, think my students weren't great at it. Or I, don't, I don't think any of us were. It was like, well, this will just have to do. But I mean, I imagine that emotional things like uh, you know, seeing your son or or mourning your mother, um, it just seems like impossible. It's too much to ask on a digital platform. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm thankful that we have it, you know, but it's like, uh, I'm really tired of it. <laughs> but 
you know, what can you do? There's, there's nothing to be done about it, really. If people are gonna, you know, continue to not be careful or deny vaccines or whatever, you know, I just, you just have to live with it, I guess. It's been interesting in terms of perhaps sociologically watching how people behave Mm. um, has been really interesting to me. Have it, it sort of made me realize like, because there are people that I know quite well who I am quite close to who suddenly emerged as anti-vaxxers. And I went, oh, yeah. that's interesting. You know, so has that happened for you too? And what do you do with that? Uh, Norwegians are not um, by definition anti-vaxxers or anti-science. So I don't know anybody here who's an anti-vaxxer and uh, anti-vaccines in general. And I don't know um, anybody in the U.S. who is, but I read about them. So They, yeah. they exist. They're yeah, here. they exist. I, I hear an awful lot yeah. about them. <laughs> and yeah. I get a little frustrated, you know, but what can you do? I know, I know. And it's, it's, it's interesting how divided, I mean, I'm not sure how long you've been gone from the U.S. Um, how long? 2014. So yeah, so that's a good, that's a good sizable amount of time. Are you surprised how divided the United States has appeared to become since you've left? Yeah, actually I have. I mean, I saw it before I left, you know, because Obama was the president and there was a lot of, you know, sort of racial stuff starting to bubble up under the surface. And it just felt like a really good time to get out of Dodge actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm surprised by how divided it's gotten and how ugly it's gotten. And it scares me a little bit because, uh, you know, we're better than that. Yeah, it does seem like there's been, uh, we are better than that. And it does seem like there's been this real weird shift where the seas have parted and it's really over here or it's over here and there's no middle ground anymore, um, yeah. which has been really hard. It, you know, when, when you and I were growing up and, and, and listening to music and following bands, it really seemed like in those days, it was pretty tribal. You could look at someone and go, oh, they, they love Husker Du. They, you could tell they love Judas Priest. You could just tell what people were doing. It seemed like it was very organized culturally. I'm not, I'm not saying it was good or bad, but it was certainly, you could certainly uh, feel you were with like-minded people just by how they dressed sometimes. Absolutely. Um, right? And, and you can't really tell anymore. So sometimes it's sort of like you, uh, you know, these people are kind of blending in and they, and they sort of, that, that sensibility is not so easy to um to sense and so you yeah. might be surprised that someone close to you feels a certain way which is which is a total weird thing yeah I agree I mean it's like um I think in general too people are more homogenous on the outside than they were before from all from all sides um like you said we could see oh yeah that guy's punk and that guy's metal and that girl over there is a square or whatever you know right. and like uh um now everybody tends to dress the same and look kind of more more or less the same. And I don't know, I don't get that sense as much as I used to, but maybe I'm just getting old, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I mean, it's like the, the breakfast club could never be made now because yeah. it's, right? There is like, yeah. because the jock, it's, it's like almost like everybody has been put into a blender and everyone's sort of like the same, you know? Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you when you talk about say, like your 21 year old 
in terms of how he absorbs counterculture or just culture in general. Um, are you surprised? Are you like, how do you perceive the way he takes it in versus the way maybe you took it in at that age? Well, it's really different because, you know, kids have everything at the, at the tips of their finger. Now they have like, um, you know, anything they want to know, they can just, you know, they got their phone and they're just looking it up or on their laptop or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, I think they sit around and they watch YouTube. I have another son too. He's having a birthday tomorrow and he's here in Norway and uh, they're on YouTube and they're on Reddit and they're like really into memes and <laughs> some of the stuff I, I just don't understand it. I try to sort of keep up, but they think, you know, they don't really want me to. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's way different. I mean, I guess everybody feels like their generation is the best, but I loved that we had to dig for what we wanted to know and we had to like really want something in order to find it. And, you know, I remember finding forced exposure at a bookstore and being like, oh my God, this magazine, you know, and then inside it was like, oh my God, all these things, you know, like where, what can I find out about this band? And you'd have to dig and dig. There's no, like, there's no internet or like even the library might not have that information so you'd have to go to the record store and ask people and it was cool it was cool it was hard fought and I think that I remember cutting school in 1985 and going to the record store and finding all the albums I could that were on the twin tone label and just writing it down and going like okay those are the ones I'm gonna get then running back to school and going one day I'm gonna get the Jonathan Richmond album or something that they put out <laughs> and um and it felt like you really had to fight for the knowledge. And, um, you know, nowadays, even sometimes if, I, when I, if I'm lecturing, I'll say something in class and the student will go, oh, actually, that's wrong. It says here on the Internet. I'm like, oh, God, you know, I, I almost can't even wing it anymore. Um, in terms of your own the way that you're making music and the way that you approach music, has that changed since you I mean, juxtaposing it with when you first began, that might be too too silly of a thing to do that might not be not, might be useful but just in terms of now at this at this stage in your life creating music is the not the process but is the sensibility around it a little bit different um it is yeah it is different because you have the whole digital world and like um so you think more about like and i hate this i hate spotify but what do you do if you don't have your record on Spotify? There's like millions of people who won't hear you, you know? And it's like, right. I wish everybody would just jump off Spotify like all at one time and just leave it. But I don't know. So yeah, you have to think about that stuff. You, you think about digital release and you think about like, um, you know, setting up tours and stuff like that. It's just way different. When we started out in the nineties, it was like really do it yourself. And like everything was, analog and mailing things and like you know now it's just like everything's instant over email we're recording on our computers and just sending files and uh yeah so I mean it is it's in some ways a lot easier and in other ways it can be a little less magical I guess yeah and if someone had told you one day there will be this thing and they described Spotify for you 25 years ago, you would have thought that they were, it was like science fiction. 
especially the part where they would say, and no one will have to even pay you that much for your music on a digital yeah. platform. I mean, in terms of the financial remuneration on something like Spotify or the return on it, is it, it's so shockingly low and so not artist friendly. Um, it's insane to me that they were able to do what they've done and get away with it because they really are, uh, artistically, they're, they're really ripping off the artist in such a blatant, awful way. Um, how does that land with, with you as an artist? It makes me really mad. I mean, because, okay, when I was in the Apples and Stereo, we were like a mid-range indie band or whatever, but we made money. You know, and for, there was a while that we weren't working. We were just doing the apples and stereo. And that's, there's no way that's possible now. No. I mean, it is possible if you tour all the time and if you sell tons of merch, you know, but you can't just make money off record sales anymore. Or, you know, I mean, we make money. I guess the most money that we make is from Apple music and Apple downloads, you know, when people buy records. And uh, so I have to say, like, out of all the platforms, I guess they're the best because we get the most money from them. But, yeah, you know, it's still like shocking to me that we have to do that. Yeah. And it seems to me that I don't know how these places have gotten away with it in terms of, you know, because you could you could get like millions of streams and, and even that wouldn't give that wouldn't pay the rent. Yeah, it wouldn't. No, because the way that it's structured too, it's like, uh, you know, most of the money goes to like Rihanna and Beyonce or, you know, people that are really super big. And um, it's just not structured for bands like us. It's structured, you know, to just, we don't get anything. We're like, you know, we're like the plebs of the Spotify. Is the, is the secret to a windfall getting like a high watermark song in, a, in an, I don't know, an Apple commercial or a, or a Netflix show. Is that this, is that the way in now? I, I would imagine so. Um, the Apples made a lot of money that way. We did a lot of, uh, we gave a lot of song or licensed a lot of songs to commercials and things like that. And uh, that was a really good way to make money. So I'm assuming it still is, but nobody's ever asked us for anything for the high watermark. So I don't really know what it's like now, but I assume that it's still lucrative. In, in terms of your friendships with people in the industry who are still in the States, um, who are even part of the, the sort of uh, musical family and collective that you were part of, has there, have you sensed panic among, among those ranks? No, I, I haven't really. I've sensed more like, uh, you know, well, you know, I guess we just have to do it this way now, kind of, feeling because we're not going to stop making music you know I mean because that's what we love to do so we just kind of have to deal with it I don't think it's right you know but I think everybody kind of feels like I know everybody's mad and they don't think it's you know it's good but I don't think we for example me and my friends we don't have any sort of pull that if we pulled our our catalogs from Spotify, nobody would care really, you know, mm. except for like the few people who really like us and then they couldn't listen to it because they only have a Spotify subscription or something, you know, right. so it's complicated. Does it sort of kind of make its way into how you create? 
does it sort of does it sometimes take a toll on you where you kind of go I mean you're not going to stop making music of course not but is there a corrosive element to the way the industry is set up now has it affected your actual the way you create actually it hasn't good good yeah because we still have so much fun with it and like especially since I moved here with the work-life balance and like the way life just moves really slow here I've been way more creative here than I have in like 20 years. Really? Yeah. So because I have time, I'm not stressed, you know, it's like, I, I the slow life is really good for me. <laughs> so, the, so the slow life is a real thing. Cause I know about 15 years ago. So there was this thing called slow TV, which was happening where from, it was originating from where you are, where it's sort of like, you're just going to watch someone sewing for 12 hours um yeah. or like a, right so that's a real so that's a real cultural thing yeah and uh, every summer they have something called um summer cabin summer hitta it's called um on uh the national television station nrk nrk i guess and um they have the Hurtirutin boat that goes from like Oslo all the way around the country up to Finnmark. And they have, it's called Hurtirutin minute for minute. And so you just watch the boat and people like, I remember they interviewed a guy on TV and he was like, I'm staying up all night to watch the boat. <laughs> and uh, they just love it, you know? And now I'm starting to really, you know, like, I've been here long enough where I'm like, oh, the boat, it's so nice. You know, oh, look, there it goes. People are waving. <laughs> because the comparable thing for us in the States would be the Yuletide log, right? Exactly. Where you watch it burning on Christmas and then that, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting for me to hear you say that slowing down has been really great to for your creative process that's and would you have suspected that or are you as surprised as I I don't think I did expect that because I before we moved I was going to school I had two young kids and I was um getting ready to move and I had like a 32 hour a week job you know so that to me life was just like that and so it was like uh but, you know, I wasn't really making much music because I didn't have much time. But I didn't really think about that it would be different here. It just sort of organically happened. Yeah, you can lean back in the pocket and just sort of and create in a kind of non-stressful environment. As, a, as someone in the Bay Area, I don't know if that has anything to do with art with where I am. But if I'm, if I'm really impacted with what I'm doing, if I'm teaching classes and I'm going to chat with you and I have students and things and the day is really busy, because I'm a writer, I will carve out, I, I, I'm strangely more effective if I'm more impacted. And my worry is if I, if I were to move somewhere where, the, where it's a slower culture, I'm worried that I would get slower too, because I think I could, I could do that. That is a danger. I mean, I think my first few years here, I just sort of like, whoa, you know, this is, everything's really mellow. And I didn't really do that much, actually. Um, besides kind of learn what it was like to live here, I guess. But um, I think that is a danger. It's something, you know, not everybody would have the same experience as me. Definitely, because, you know, everybody's different. It's just like we told you, we need a girl.
how are you in terms of your daily practice? Are you are you playing every day? Are you is there is there a kind of um, regiment's the wrong word, but is there a kind of schedule for you in terms of how you play rehearse? There's a well, we have a practice space up in Trondheim, which is about two hours from here. Um, it's the nearest big city, and um, we actually have a practice base in an old World War II submarine hangar. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And uh, it's really cool, yeah. And um, yeah, so we go up there every maybe once a month in practice, if that. But um, we play a lot here in the house, and I play pretty much every day at school. I work at an elementary school and I'm helping with music a lot. So I'm playing a lot of guitar at school. So sometimes I just make songs at school. Yeah, it's interesting. And and how are you finding <laughs> in terms of like working with the children? Like, is that, does that feed back into how you, does it, does it sort of reinform you, I guess? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. And just seeing how excited they get about like learning kind of makes me excited about playing the guitar, you know, and just doing it because you see the joy that they get out of it. There's um this group of boys now and they want to start a band and they're learning Sweet Home Alabama <laughs> and they're learning, um, uh, there's another song, I can't remember what it was, but they're so excited about it, you know, and they're like, they're like, Hillary, Hillary, stop, wait, listen, listen to the bass line, you know, I'm like, oh, that's so great, you guys, you know, and I get kind of pumped up about it. I think it's really cool. Is there a, a young music scene there? Are, are there bands? Yeah, there's bands. I mean, I wouldn't say there's a lot of bands that I really love, but there's some there's some good bands here. It's also really like there's no good radio stations, for example. Everything's like um, NRK, which is the national radio. And they don't really have like a good indie station or anything like that. So I think the music is pretty homogenized. There's a big scene with like um, emo. Mm. Emo and really slick emo seems to be really popular here. And um, there's not a lot of, I think we're the only band really like us here. But um, we're not very popular here either. We do much better over there, so. Well, there is something about, I remember when I started getting really into these really, these indie bands from, it was, they were on the Parasol label, which was that, actually, they were, I think they were kind of from where you're originally from, a Midwestern label. Um, and they, they signed all these bands from Sweden. This is probably in the mid 90s. Yeah. And I, I loved these bands like Club 8 and I can't remember the other ones. But I remember thinking like, they have so many sad songs about summer. And I was like, what is this? And then of course I realized, well, of course, because summer's like two weeks and then that's it. And then there, it's a, you, you mourn the passing of summer because it's so quick. Um, can you hear the environment? And has that happened to you where now you can hear the geography in a different way than when you were making music here in the States? I don't know, actually, that's a really good question. I, I can't say yes or no for that. I'm not really sure. But uh, that's really interesting because I have said to Perula before that my husband who's in the band, I've said to him that, um, you know, I notice a, a lot of these Swedish bands that I like also, they have such like sort of sad melodies, you know, it yeah. sounds a little haunting or something. And there is something to that because we do have, we have long and beautiful, like bright summers, 
but you always have this feeling of like, oh, but it's going to end and it's going to get really dark, you know? (laughs) And so after you get like, when you get closer and closer to August, you know, you're like, oh, it's going to start getting dark again. Oh, and then, you know, you just don't want it to be over. No, there was this band I got into called the Marionettes. Did you know them? Mm-mm. Oh, they're marvelous. They're a Swedish band and their first couple of records are just, they're amazing. And you can hear, you can just hear summer is over in those songs. I mean, it almost, I mean, it's as dark as Joy Division, um, uh, more melodic, but you can just, you can hear the darkness and wow. you can hear the cold um, <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's, it's interesting because if you look at the Beach Boys, um, I think we, we realized later on when we learned about the biography of Brian Wilson's life, you know, later, you realize just how sad those Beach Boys songs really are, even though they're buoyant. Yeah. Right? They're dark. They're really, yeah. right? Um, so it's well disguised in the sort of the Southern California, the sunny locale and the buoyant melodies where you can hear the summer is a little deceptive too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing with pop music, I think, in general, maybe from like when the Beatles started or, you know, I don't know when it really started, but having these happy sort of melodies with something a little darker underneath, you know, lyrics or whatever. You know, when you think about the Beatles, like, you better run for your life if you can, little girl, hide your head in the sand. But it's like really happy. Da, 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 yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, so that's a dark one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so... There is something to that. And there is something to the Scandinavian um, morning of summer being over. Here in Norway, there's a lot of people that really can't wait for winter, though, because skiing is so popular here, especially cross country. So you'll see people as soon as the snow melts and the days start getting super long, they're out on these roller skis. And I'm like, haven't you had enough skiing? (laughs) but you know I guess not how are your skiing skills Uh, terrible really yeah I'm not that good uh I I haven't done it for a while I broke my foot this summer and I'm just kind of like and then the year before I broke my or I didn't break but I tore a tendon in my thumb and so I couldn't imagine going and falling and breaking something you know but uh you know I'll try again I've got some nice skis and I'll give it a go I'm such a Californian. I'm, I hate the cold. I'm just like, the cold is like, so, uh, you know, anathema in terms of how I, like, I, I get so, when it gets cold out, I, I start to, and I'm talking like when it's like 70 degrees or below, <laughs> like, oh, it's getting so cold out here. I'm such a wimp about it. Um, was it an adjustment for you in terms of, of moving there and sort of saying, oh, this is the way things are here, uh, just in terms of climate? Um, was it an adjustment or was it was it pretty easy? It was an adjustment. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Having grown up in Chicago, I was braced for, you know, like negative um, numbers pretty much all the time in the winter and snow that came up to the windows of the house. But um, it hasn't been like that. But we live on the coast. So we have milder weather here because of the Gulf Stream. But by mild, it's you'd still think it was cold. The the work that you're producing, like, do you find that you guys are recording and collaborating and writing at a pretty good clip? Yeah, we are actually. Um, it's kind of crazy. Both uh, Perula and 
and I have written so many songs recently um, that we haven't even recorded yet. And um, our bass player, Logan, he also, he and Pirula write together as well. And Einstein, our drummer, is starting to get involved in that too. So it's, it's really kind of evolving and um, kind of picking up pace. So I'm pretty excited about it. Does it make you think that, hey, maybe we'll just start releasing music more frequently? Has that been something yeah. that's occurred to you? It has. The only thing is, is that we pay for almost everything ourselves and we don't make a lot that back. So we have to have some concerts and whatnot every now and then to raise money so that we can continue. The recording well, doesn't really cost us anything, but because um, we do it ourselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, pressing vinyl is really expensive and and we want to have vinyl. I don't want to just have a digital release. Yeah, and so so the real cost is production. Is that really where it's at now? Yeah, and we actually had a guy mix our record this time. Um, this guy called Hamish Benjamin. He lives in uh, Brighton in the UK. And I got his name from Robert from the Apples in Stereo. And he was, Hamish was great. And he gave us a, an insane discount, but we still had to pay, you know? And so that's money. If you want to have somebody mix it, you have to pay somebody to master. And whether or not you're going to put it on vinyl, you have to pay for that stuff, you know, and then and then the vinyl production cost. Yeah, because the idea of like a label is, you know, the, what labels used to do for bands, whether it was the Apples or or whoever, um, that sort of doesn't exist the way it used to, right? No, I don't think there's anybody who gets like a lot of support from a label. I mean, I know that there's some out there, but like, um, like Minty Fresh for us, they're really supportive and they're super helpful and they have great distribution. And so that's sort of like our key in our relationship is like, you know, they help us strategize and things like that about how to get stuff out there, when to do it, like what are the best ideas, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth. And then their, distri their distri uh, distribution is really good. So Minty yeah. Fresh is, they're incredible to me because they have, I remember they put out the, the Jim Ruiz records. They put out, they might've put out the first Cardigans album if I, if I remember. I think they did. Yeah. yeah. And like that Veruca Assault record that went, that blew up. Yeah. 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 They have And the Orange a, Peels and. Yeah, the Orange yeah. Peels. They've been really interesting to me because they've managed to survive and also retain the the label mystique like uh, in the same way that like 4ad used to have where it was like it was on 4ad you would just give it a try because you trusted them so much yeah right and i feel, yeah, like, I feel like fresh has never um they've never steered me wrong i feel like because they don't put out a lot of records they don't no so it was really like uh fantastic for us that they would you know be willing to work with us and stuff you know because they have such a great reputation they've been around so long and like their bands have been really consistent and I remember we used to tour a lot with Papa's Fritas and they were really cool too and that was a band we actually kind of got to know and yeah besides all the other bands that you mentioned you know there was just it was fun you know they have a fun roster yeah, didn't they put out the Fonda record? I'm trying to remember if they did that or not. But anyway, but I can't remember. No, yeah, they have great stuff. Great yeah. stuff. The fact that they still exist and that they are who they are speaks to um, the integrity of the label. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the old days, 
the integrity of the label, you could list 10 or 15 labels. And now you can list maybe two or three. There's not that many anymore. So I love that they're still around. Did they feel like a natural fit for you? Yeah, actually, it did seem like that. You know, I, I it it all sort of kind of fell into place, really, like it was, it, it was felt like it was kind of meant to be or something. So yeah, I mean, it's great. Is there is it is it sort of is it practical to think like hey we'll play in the U.S. or is that something that doesn't right now just isn't even worth thinking about because it's so difficult in terms of travel and health and all that stuff? Well, I'm afraid to I'm afraid to want you know but like because uh, we had <laughs> planned and it didn't work out. I had thought maybe we would be there last summer touring or playing shows or you know even just visiting so um yeah I, I dare to dream I don't know do I um hopefully in the summer we'll be able to come over and play shows but since I work at a school I have all the school holidays so we could do that you know we all have to work so yeah no I totally get it and it's interesting to hear you say I'm I'm afraid to want because it's sort of like you don't want the expectations um especially if you're a naturally optimistic person you almost have to suppress your natural optimism absolutely that's how i am because i get so geared up and then you know it's stuff like that can be really just kind of crushing when you're so excited about something so you have to be mellow and just kind of like it's really hard <laughs> how are you in terms of keeping an eye on music scenes and hearing new bands like are you are you still sort of metaphorically crate digging are you still looking for stuff and how do you find it you know I go through a little spurts but I haven't for a while these because we've been recording so much and then sometimes when we're recording a lot and I'm trying to focus on that it's hard for me to listen to other stuff but on the other hand sometimes I listen to other stuff and it's really inspiring so I, I don't really know there's not really a rhyme or reason to it but I do um sometimes try to dig out things, but I don't do it like I used to. I don't know why, I just don't. Are there record stores near you or no? No. No. I live in rural Norway, so there's 6,000 people where I live. Wow, that is not <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> but I live, um, I can see the Europe's tallest waterfall out of my window. Okay, that's a pretty good trade-off. Yeah, it is, it's cool. And we live right on the fjord basically. And like the mountains are, we're at sea level here in the valley. And then like the mountains are super high all around us. And it's really dramatic and beautiful. Is there also, by the way, what is your, Europe's highest? What is the name of it? It's called Vinu Falla, which means like, a, I guess, Vinu Falls. That must be something else. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we actually want to set up a festival here one day when there's not COVID, I guess. Um, we live right next to one of the biggest Viking graveyards in, um, in Norway. And um, there's a museum there and they have recently built a stage and like, like um, an outdoor seating amphitheater, I guess you would call it. And um, we want to have a festival there right, at, right by the Viking graveyard. And you can see the waterfall in the background. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Oh my God, that would be the coolest. Yeah. Yeah. It actually sounds like the setup for like an indie horror movie too. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Viking zombies coming. <laughs> right. 
right right it's like what you know a, a music festival and a viking graveyard what could possibly go wrong in that movie <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> is there an intimacy that you have established with your you know with your neighbors in terms of like you know with only six thousand people do you feel that you know people in a in a in a more meaningful way than if there were sixty thousand? i mean is that a different experience I don't know if I know them better. I know a lot about their business and they probably know a lot about mine. So it's kind of like more busybody kind of stuff going on, you know, where I told my son, you know, you need to be really careful what you do in this town because you'll get a reputation. We live in like a town of 6,000. I've been telling him that since he was eight and we moved here. So, uh, you know, he's been really good about that because kids here, you know, it's like, you do one thing and everybody refers to you as the person who did that thing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to really be careful. I imagine like, and there is a youth culture, obviously, because there are kids, right? So it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. A lot of uh, football or soccer, I guess. Uh, a lot of soccer, a lot of handball around here. So it's a lot of sports and stuff like that. But my son is more into like, training and gaming it's cool you gave your kids a really interesting cultural way to grow up um you know it's a pretty interesting alternative to um growing up in the states uh i think that must have been a really valuable and interesting you know interesting experience for them yeah i think so i was really um max stayed in the u.s because he was in middle school and he stayed with his dad through the through middle school and high school and so he was here like at Christmas and in the summer, but Anders, he um, has been growing up here since he was eight. And so he had to learn the language because my husband didn't teach it to him. Mm. And um, when he got here and he had to sort of, you know, learn the ways of the world, but um, he didn't have to do things anymore. Like we didn't have to drive him and make play dates and like we didn't have to um, do uh, active shooter drills, you know, and stuff like that. Hey. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that was pretty fantastic. Are people like where you live, are there people, are neighbors pretty close or is it pretty spread out? It's a little bit of both. We live in a neighborhood cluster, you know, but um, there's also places where people in the area where people have a lot of land around them. So there's yeah. something here called Alamensret, which means um, every man's right. And so there's no private property. And so you can go wherever you want, which is really nice. So oh, wow. even if somebody lives on a really big piece of land, you're allowed to go and hike there or walk there. Yeah, that's cool. What, a, what, a, what an awesome way to also, I think, to um, like for a young kid to grow up there just seems like such an unusual and interesting way to see the world. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope it has been for him. I know like he, he identifies really with his American sort of past because I think you always want the thing, you know, that you had, I guess he just, he doesn't want to lose that, you know, so it's a big deal for him, you know, to stay in touch with that American side of culture and things like that. It's interesting to hear you say that there's a busybody element because I imagine from all I know about Norwegians is what I've seen in indie movies, and um, it seems that they're incredibly reserved and uh, and I have nothing to base it on it, literally except for films. Um, is that true or are people pretty chatty? No, people are not chatty. They're not. <laughs> if so you go true. like 
you know how in the U.S. you might like stand at the bus station or at the bus stop waiting for the bus and you might strike up a conversation with a guy there, a girl there, or whatever, and you start talking about maybe the weather or some sort of sports event or the bus and then suddenly you're talking about other things and it's like, oh, cool, I got to kind of know that person. That would be like, uh, that would be horrifying to a Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> that would be just they when Norwegians stand at the bus stop they stand like at least a meter apart you know so it was like uh, when the pandemic came that was actually a big joke it's like well we don't really like to have uh, we don't really like to be close to each other anyway <laughs> <laughs> so sort of like genetically taciturn and sort of private yeah and that can be hard as an outsider coming here because that's another thing is people tend to have their friends that they got when they were really young and those that's their circle of people and you know how it is in the U.S. you move around maybe and you go to different you have friends here and there and like friends that you've had since maybe kindergarten friends that you made in high school friends that you made in college and at jobs and like in general it's easier to make friends in the U.S. Is your husband from this town? Is that why you guys ended up there? Yeah, he is. We wanted to be closer to his parents because um, we have the only grandkids that they have. And we just thought it would be really nice for them and really nice for us too, because we would have their support, you know, with childcare and things like that. Is he very, very Norwegian in that way? Is he also very quiet as a guy? No, he's not. But he lived in the U.S. for 12 years. And he's such a like, he's so funny. He's really outgoing and he's a prankster and he's like, uh, you know, he loves like a, a good American party, you know, like it, in Norway, if you're gonna have a party, it's like, you have to have a fancy table and everybody sits down and like, there'll be a welcome drink. And then like you go and you sit down and you kind of sit down all night, you know, and you're really dressed up and you know, he, he really misses those good old American parties where you walk around with a can of beer and you're mingling, you know? Yeah. 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 We're not that formal. No. And we miss that a lot. And how does it, how does it feel? This is a weird question, but how does it feel to be back? I mean, how does it feel to have this, have this music coming out? And I'm thrilled about it and I love it. Um, it must feel good just to be like, well, here it is. The, the world gets to hear it. Yeah. I mean, it feels great. And um I don't know. It's just something I, I kind of was worried that we wouldn't do it anymore, you know, and it just, we got people, you know, like, why don't you guys do that anymore? And it's like, while we're writing songs, I guess we could, you know, and so we, you know, it just, it does, it feels really fun and exciting. And I like that people like it. And I understand when people don't like it, you know, it's, it's all good. It's just really fun, fun to have it out there. Well, I've always loved what you do. And if you have a Viking music festival, I'm coming to Norway. Oh, good. <laughs> we'll let you know then for sure. I want, I want to see how that plays out from a cinematic point of view too. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, what a joy to talk to you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And congratulations on the music. It's marvelous as always. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking with me.
Well, I don't know about you, but I'd go to some kind of Viking music festival in Norway. Why not? Sounds like fun. Hillary Sidney of the High Water Marks. I enjoyed that conversation. I enjoy the album Proclaimer of Things, and I think you will too. Get it. It's big and crunchy and melodic and just unreasonably wonderful. So look it up. Thehighwatermarks.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with the band. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com will tell you all you need to know about our radio station. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please do so, at Ember's Editor. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you're welcome to do that, too, at Ember's Podcast, or just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. You want to do all three? Do all three. I'd be happy to hear from you on any medium. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, tell all your friends, have a big party where you talk about us lovingly and with great reverence. (laughs) I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Just tell everyone you know about our podcast and we'll appreciate it. And who knows, maybe we'll record one of these things live at a Viking music festival thanks to you spreading the word. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Jenny by the High Water Marks from their new album, Proclaimer of Things. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Jenny's got herself a friend and she wants to